everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be covering Esper Flyers in Murder Cowab Manor, or whatever the little words in MKM are. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. This is another very non-stats-based archetype. Um, this is an archetype that I've kind of stumbled into a couple of times and it overperformed and so I thought there was likely something there. So this is yeah, like Esper, I looked at the stats out of curiosity of Esper as a three color combination on 17 lands. They were not good. Um like 50%. It's hard to know what that really means. Um it wasn't particularly good among three color pairs or anything. But I also don't think that says anything about the deck that I'm talking about drafting. So yeah, uh, not not really worrying too much about the stats here. I'm just kind of talking about the like kind of game plan and synergies and structure of an archetype that I've found that I like. So the first thing about Esper Flyers as a structure in this format is that all three of the Esper pair disguise creatures are flying creatures that are pretty good and play pretty well together. So the white-black one is Sanguine Savior, the 2-1 flying lifelink that uh, when you flip it over gives something else lifelink until end of turn. I've been really happy to just cast that card face up on turn three. It's given me a really, really nice life cushion and lead in racing situations that come up pretty often in this format because a lot of people draft aggressive decks. There are also a decent amount of times if I'm like far enough on the back foot where I just play it face up and block their creature and you know trade cards but gain a little bit of life and that life cushion can be pretty valuable even in that mode. And then the white-blue card, Granite Witness, is the 4-mana 3-2 three, three, Flying Vigilance that when you flip it over for 2-mana, taps or untaps something. Pretty strong tempo play. Uh, you can often tap out your opponent's only like Reach Creature or Flying Blocker to get in a big swing. Um, if your opponent's playing large creatures that your creatures don't block very well, uh, stopping them from attacking for a turn is often a big swing. This deck... Uh, often wants to play creatures that have like three or four toughness. So a lot of the creatures in the format you can block and not really worry about, but then the big creatures that can get through that, you can just kind of like buy a little time with Granite Witness to get set up, and that can be a pretty big deal. Also, the Vigilance is nice because you're largely trying to play defense with your creatures, and this lets you kind of establish a clock on your opponent um, where you're hitting them without needing to tap one of your potential blockers. So it can uh, threaten a block or a double block while also getting some damage in. And then the last part of this group is Fairy Snoop, the blue-black 1-4 flyer for 3 that when you flip it over for 3 mana, looks at 2 cards, puts 1 in your hand and 1 in the graveyard. This card is pretty important. Uh, I think it does a lot to let this deck function as a control deck rather than a tempo deck. It blocks really well and uh, digs for your bombs, puts you up on cards, and also very notably plays really well with combat tricks. Just having both the evasive keyword and having more toughness than power means that 
you know, it's likely to be around. So then if you cast on the job, the four mana trick that gives all of your creatures plus two plus one and investigates, uh, it's really easy for Fairy Snoop to just be an extra body that's been hanging around, not doing a lot. And then it's three extra damage on a turn where you're trying to finish them off on the job. Or, you know, it's a creature that your opponent is pretty likely to attack into. Like if they have two or three two twos or three threes and you have this, they're going to attack expect that you block one of their creatures and they push some damage. And then if you have something like plus two, plus two investigate or lifelink death touch investigate, you're going to get to block and use that combat trick to kill your opponent's creature and investigate and then, you know, draw the card. So you're up a little bit of value there. These three creatures um, kind of form the backbone of this deck at common. Together, they let you play this like pretty good evasive but also controlling like tempo but mostly just to stay alive kind of game plan where like when you have to you can definitely turn the corner and get aggressive but you're not obligated to um i've liked blue's ability to control the pace of the game but my really tempo focused blue games or blue decks have had a lot of trouble ending the game. Uh, blue just doesn't have a lot of like powerful attackers. And uh, so like blue as like a, you know, tempo, like get them dead before uh, people get to cast their spells strategy has not played well for me, but um, blue with some of the like by time type abilities but trying to play a late game has worked well for me. Um, and I think these creatures give you a lot of flexibility and let you do that. Cold Case Cracker plays really well with all of these. That's the four mana 3-3 three, three flyer that uh, investigates when it dies. You have a bunch of three drops. And then, you know, sometimes you play them face up, sometimes face down. That's going to just depend on the situation. And then you can play Cold Case Cracker, get like a relatively large body for that stage of the game down. And then the following turn, you usually want to start double spelling or flipping your creatures over. But the deck likes having a four mana flyer and cold case cracker is a really good one. As with any deck, it's important to have two mana plays. In this case, I don't think it really matters what you have. Like just kind of any two drop is fine. It's maybe a little bit better to have something like Gravestone Strider, uh, the 1-3 artifact creature that filters your mana, because it blocks pretty well and often stays in play when it blocks, um, which, again, for the same reason that Fairy Snoop plays well in this deck, you're kind of not looking to trade in general. You're looking to just have your creatures bounce, and I'm going to get into more detail about that, I, I suppose, now. So structurally, I see this deck as a big game attrition deck, which is pretty unusual and a little hard to wrap your head around. Um, so you do want to play removal and cards that trade one for one, but you're not looking to trade off creatures that are in play. You're specifically trying to make the board as messy as possible. Um, if you have a lot of creatures with low power and high toughness, it becomes really difficult for your opponent to attack because you can double or triple block and they won't be able to kill very many of your blockers and they'll lose attackers. 
And what you're trying to do is you're trying to play an attrition strategy that revolves around virtual card advantage. Uh, virtual card advantage is, um, the, is a concept where you generate something that functions like card advantage, where your opponent kind of kind of runs out of stuff to do, not by actually removing your opponent's cards, but by making them irrelevant. So if you have a bunch of 1-3 and 1-4 creatures, all of your opponent's 2-2s or maybe 3-3s, three or any other creatures they have that don't have profitable attacks and can't block your creatures, might as well not be there. Um, and so the more like messy the board can be, the more likely it is that you're invalidating more of your opponent's cards. And so this large game actually functions as part of your attrition strategy to invalidate rather than destroy your opponent's cards. You still want some removal because you're playing a controlling strategy and you need to be able to answer your opponent's bombs or their things that are stopping you from clocking them when that's important or their creatures that are big enough to get through or sometimes most importantly to be able to like kill their creature when they use a combat trick in a spot where you've set up a double block and they're trying to like you know get past that. So you need a bit of interaction, but uh, it plays differently than a lot of tempo strategies because you want creatures that are going to stay in play rather than creatures that are going to trade. Incidentally, this works super well with Wisp Drinker Vampire, the uh, white-black uncommon 2-4 flyer that can give all of your creatures lifelink and death touch for all of your small creatures lifelink and death touch for 7 mana. Of course, the more creatures you have in play, the more powerful that ability is. So if your deck is already designed to play a bunch of low-power creatures that are just going to hang out and play, eventually you get, you'll get to the point where Wisp Drinker Vampire like, really invalidates all of your opponent's creatures. So I hope all of that makes sense. Because uh, I think that like understanding that that's what you're playing for in this archetype is really important and i also think that this is a pretty unusual strategy like i can't think of the last deck that i've uh talked about that um plays quite this way so that, that that's kind of my thinking on my creature selection so i'm mostly like you know, even though I describe this as a flyer's deck, and there are definitely spots where you'll take an aggressive position, I'm more interested in Gravestone Strider or uh, even the 1-3 Detective that gets plus 2 power when other detectives attack over something like Market Watch Phantom, the 2-mana two 2-2 two -two that gets flying when you play a creature, which can lead to draws where you just kind of run your opponent over and it's a serviceable two drop, but I'm more interested in being able to play uh, like a more defensive game and like kind of, you know, killing my opponent as an afterthought as is maybe a little bit too much my nature. The other thing is I think the tricks uh, and tempo plays in this um, color combination work super, super well, especially uh, the auspicious arrival, the two mana plus two plus two, uh, make a clue and toxin analysis, uh, and on the job, um, on the job being the four mana plus two plus one dollar your creatures investigate toxin analysis plus one plus one or not plus one plus one, just, just lifelink death touch investigate. 
All of those tricks are really good if you're playing a long enough game that you can afford to spend the mana to sacrifice the clue, and also really good if you are going to reliably have creatures in play and be able to generate uh, creature combat um, kind of on command. The deck also uses card, other cards that investigate, like Deduce, the uh, one in a blue draw card, investigate, Novice Inspector, the white one, two, investigate, uh, Outhold, the four mana, um, tap two things, put stun counters on them, investigate. All, all of those cards play really well here because you're looking to play a long enough game that you can use those clues, and they all kind of buy you time, potentially push some damage, buy some life, give you material, uh, get you further in your deck, do useful things. And the deck is really set up to just take advantage of all those clues and happy to just like hang out and generate a little bit, bit of value on most of its plays. The reason that I frame this deck as Esper Flyers um, is both that I think that if you're trying to play this game that kind of gums up the battlefield. You don't want to not have flying and your opponent has flying and then your blockers don't work and they just kill you. But also um, kind of the way that this attrition strategy works is that your opponent's creatures don't do anything and yours still do because you have evasion. And so when the ground is stalled, some of your creatures are still going to have profitable attacks, which is why Granite Witness, for example, is so nice because of the vigilance. So it can, you know, keep contributing to preventing their attacks while getting damage in, as I discussed earlier in terms of establishing a clock. Um, and then once you're ahead by enough, uh, you can, you know, start sending more of your creatures um, and really trying to like close the door. As far as higher rarity cards, the cards you're looking for are basically just better versions of the commons, um, you know, better flying creatures, uh, better removal, um, normal control tools, any sort of bombs. A lot of the gold cards fit really well here. Uh, Wisp Drinker Vampire, as I mentioned earlier, is perfect. I've really liked No More Lies, uh, the one in a blue, or sorry, the white blue uh, mana leak that um, exiles the card that it counters. Coerced to Kill is fantastic. There, there are a lot of good options. There are also just like some nice random rare flyers. Pretty much any of them will do. It was uh, the weird, um, the rare 2-2 Flying Vigilance for 3 that draws 2 and then discards a creature with flying or instant that originally got me to explore this archetype. Almost all of my cards, instant sorcerers for each other. Almost all of my cards were either flyers or instants and sorceries, so it was just always uh, draw 2, discard 1, um, which was very nice, and also encouraged me to draft a deck where that was true, and it was great. So, yeah, the, the cards you're looking for are the cards that that Steam Core tells you to look for in a lot of cases. As with all controlling multicolor decks, further splashing is pretty easy. So um, I'm, you know, not looking to pass a bomb just because it happens to require red or green mana. Um, I'd rather take the bomb and try to find some way to modify my mana base to be able to cast it. You know, even more highly prioritized Gravestone Striders or some of the lands that fix. If it doesn't come together, sometimes you won't be able to put it in your deck, but it's better to give yourself the option to play an extra bomb than to let it go in favor of some kind of replaceable common. I think that the pool of commons that this deck is happy playing is pretty deep, and so you can definitely afford 
to let some of those uh, commons, you know, you, you don't need to take every auspicious arrival or every sanguine savior you see. Um, you, you, you're happy to have a lot of those, but there are just so many cards that fit in each of those roles. You know, it's not bad to take like a land or a rare or whatever over them. Um, the fact there are a lot of commons that you like doesn't mean you should be drafting a lot of commons. It means that, you know, you're just you're going to be able to find a set of tools that work well together. So because you're really looking to trade off as little as possible and you're expecting your cards to hang out on the battlefield most of the time, you shouldn't expect to have cards in your graveyard, right? Like if you're if your cards don't trade, they don't go to the graveyard. And so you shouldn't be expecting to have cards that utilize cards that are in the graveyard in your deck. So despite the fact that like compared to the Sultai graveyard deck that I discussed last week, this deck is only one color different and since both of them could splash, uh it's, you know, one color that's maybe a little wobbly. So there, you know, you, you could find a lot of like overlap, but structurally they want very different cards. And um, as far as splashing in this deck, you should not less, like be looking to splash cards that use the graveyard. And, um, you know, notably curious could ever the blue black three one flyer that returns from your graveyard to your hand when you invest, when you sacrifice a clue. Uh, I could see that having overlap in both these decks, right? I talked about how this deck wants a lot of cards that investigate. You're looking for flyers. Curious Cadaver plays pretty well here because uh, it works with all of that. And I would not mind playing a Curious Cadaver in this deck. Similarly, Curious Cadaver works really well with a lot of the graveyard engines. You sometimes get it for free. It plays extremely well with Shock Outline. It is possible to use to be motivated by Curious Cadaver to try to bridge these strategies in some way. Notably, Fairy Snoop also plays well in both of them. I wouldn't discourage doing that. That sounds like the kind of thing that I would do, but you need to be extremely careful about it and understand the tension that exists between the two strategies in their natural structure, where you're going to have to, like, modify each plan somewhat and figure out how you want the game to play out, how much you're looking to trade, whether you should prioritize things differently based on that new set of goals. There's room for a lot of hybridization of strategies in this format, but it's important to do it very consciously and to understand what risk factors and tensions you're introducing uh, to figure out on the fly while drafting how to prepare for those. So when trying to bridge these decks, be aware that their incentives point in different directions and account for that in some way. Alternatively, um, just remember that if you're fully on board with the philosophy of Esper Flyers that you might not want to prioritize collect evidence stuff. Certainly, 
Bombs like Azoni would still be good to splash, especially since they're only looking for evidence very late. But something like Evidence Examiner might be a worse splash than it would normally be. Um, that being the uh, blue-green 2-2 that lets you collect evidence for to investigate. Um, you'll have other ways to get clues in this deck. And, you know, since it's in the structure going to be a splash, it's like not, you know, two drops aren't the best splashes anyway. It's not going to add a lot to your game plan most of the time, and you won't necessarily have things in your graveyard to exile for it anyway. So it wouldn't be a high priority splash, even though it's a pretty good card in a lot of other contexts. So in some ways, that's more to speak to how I think that, like, this format is pretty interesting where even though the mana is such that there's like a lot of ability for decks to kind of like blend together and bleed into each other, the uh, strategic incentives kind of do more than the actual color requirements to differentiate decks and um, lead people to draft kind of like decks that ex exist in and take advantage of uh, certain synergies in a way that focuses the, uh, them on prioritizing certain clusters of cards and avoiding cards from other clusters or cards that don't work with the plan they have in mind. And of course, this fact is why I have mostly been ignoring 17 lands data is that while there are ways to use 17 lands data to look deep at clusters that play well together it's difficult and messy and not really pointed to in the like normal game and hand win rate uh type stats that i usually refer to for um ease of use which i suppose ties into just what i like about this format i think it's pretty interesting to you know unpack all of uh the strategic pressures and clusters of cards that like play well together rather than just like Yep, I'm a red-white deck. I want red and white cards. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's what I see as going on with this, uh, like, mostly controlling Esper Flyers deck. So I'm um, going to turn that over to Twitch chat for questions. So um, anything that uh, you've asked, regardless of um, anything I've asked that you haven't addressed it um, or anything you've thought of that you haven't already asked, uh, please ask again now. And um, while I'm uh, letting people get some questions in, I want to, of course, thank the uh, newest patron this week. So, uh, Dolph, thank you very much for the support. If anyone else is interested in uh, supporting the podcast um, and looking at uh, what kind of perks we offer, be sure to check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. All right. Questions. Does a card like Case File Auditor do enough as a bottom-heavy body to be useful in this deck, even if one doesn't do much, uh, doesn't have a lot of cases or enchantments? So the question is, like, is a 3-mana 1-4 good enough? And the answer is no. You already have access to Fairy Snoop, which is, like, a lot better than a 1-4 that doesn't have flying and can't draw you cards and stuff. As far as, like, should you play Chaos File Auditor, Chaos File Auditor is not River Cajun. It's not a vanilla 1-4 for 3. You know, if you're thinking about it or you've drafted it, you're probably going to be able to have at least one enchantment. I think that if you have 
five or more enchantments, regardless of whether any of them are cases. Case file auditor is probably quite good, especially since the enchantments are often going to be fairly good cards like makeshift binding and uh, coerce to kill. Um, I think it's reasonable to take case file auditor early and try to find some of those enchantments or to, you know, take it kind of in the middle if you already have some. But, uh, you know, I would not really be looking to play Case File Auditor with two or fewer. In the three to four range, it's going to depend on whether any of them are cases that I expect to be able to solve or whether they are, like, all very, very good hits, as well as just, like, what am I comparing it to? Like, what's my next best other card? I do think that, you know, Case File Auditor's body isn't irrelevant, but I, I don't want to invest a, a full card in it if I'm not expecting other returns. In which situation would I go for this strategy mid-draft? When I was already in this strategy early draft, um, like if, uh, you know, th there are a lot of like good cards in these colors that are cards that you want to take early. And so if I find myself with, you know, just some like good controlling cards and flyers, uh, then I'll continue down this path. I don't know that it's something that I want to like pivot into. Like if I started five color green and I noticed that I have like a few flyers, am I supposed to like abandon the green stuff that I have to like only play the Esper stuff? I don't know, not necessarily. But uh, if I, you know, find myself in a multicolor spot where all of my cards are Esper, it might be useful to think about, like, this structure rather than, like, expecting to expand into green unnecessarily to, like, see yourself as, like... If you think of the format as consisting of two-color aggressive decks and five color green decks, um, then you might miss a spot where you could be a three color control deck as opposed to a five color green deck. I think anything like Esper or Grixis and probably some of the other non-green, like, you know, maybe Mardu or whatever. Um, is that all of them? Maybe. But I think it's reasonable to draft three color control decks that aren't green where one might just be like, oh, I'm playing a bunch of colors. I guess I should be prioritizing Nervous Gardeners to make this mana work, and then I guess I'm five-color green. So I, I think as far as like going into this strategy mid-draft, uh, I think it's more about knowing to identify when this is where you're supposed to be as the draft is happening and having it in mind as something where you could end up in that might lead to you not pivoting out of it and instead solidifying into it where like if you're not aware of it or don't know how to draft it you might either try to expand into more colors or try to cut one of the three colors to become a two color deck neither of those are necessary let's say you have a handful of each of the disguise hybrid commons but the rest of your deck works as a purely white black deck how would you decide on running islands or not I would usually just not run the islands. Um, like Sanguine Savior is the most important of these to cast face up, and you can already do that in white black. And so, like, using a card to be a, like, black white dual land, but only for the purpose of flipping over a couple of your face down creatures doesn't make a lot of sense. 
I might, you know, be in a similar spot to that, but where I play like a couple of blue cards and an island and some escape tunnels or something. But like, if you're just like a white black deck that has some fairy snoops and uh, granite witnesses, you certainly shouldn't throw islands in your deck. Does this archetype prefer Sanctuary Wall to Jaded Analyst? Um, and if not, is the creature still having power being important for the reason? So I don't have enough experience to be sure, but my expectation is that Sanctuary Wall is better than Jaded Analyst for the obvious reasons that like I'm not really looking to trade off. Jaded Analyst is really bad at pushing damage here because I'm not, you know, really looking to like sacrifice clues on my first main phase um and i'm not you know very highly prioritizing like projector inspector or other things that would naturally trigger the jaded analyst's ability to attack and also uh like a three two without flying is very unlikely to have good attacks because i'm trying to strand my opponent's tutus um where sanctuary wall can prevent the same damage early but then later in the game can tap my opponent's larger flyers um, or reach creatures so that I can get in or just kind of functionally trade up in terms of, you know, my two drop can invalidate their six drop instead of my two drop trading with their two or three drop. So, uh, yeah, I, I suspect that Sanctuary Wall is appreciably better for this archetype than Jaded Analyst. Given that I plan to get a messy board with this plan, how concerned would I be about the opponent playing overrun effects? And is there any way to mitigate this? Depends on the overrun effect. Uh, for the sorcery speed ones, you can use out cold and uh, counter spells. In general, I think the like natural way that this deck mitigates them is through sanguine savior and other life, life gain to just uh, have enough damage that like you're not in range of dying to an overrun and then you know you can usually tell when your opponent is like making an attack based on on the job and block such that uh, the trades aren't too bad for you and you take an amount of damage that isn't lethal so a, a lot of uh, preparing for them is just seeing them maintaining a healthy life total uh, establishing the clock that ends the game before your opponent can take advantage of them. Like, I would say in a lot of ways, the presence of those overrun effects and the pressure that they put on control decks in the format is why this deck has a place and is valuable. Like, the fact that uh, the life advantage from Sanguine Savior and the pressure from that and Granite Gargoyle matters so much and is, like, so good to have access to in your control decks is to end the game before your opponent can just kind of like play a bunch of creatures and find their overrun. Would I look at the blue-red disguise common as something on plan for this style of deck? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the gadget here gives you a 3-2 on the ground and a 1-1 flyer. It's two bodies. The 3-2 on the ground, uh, as I talked about with um, Jaded Analyst, isn't a very valuable object for you. Like it trades reasonably can make your opponent like it, it, it's fine to trade it for your opponent's creature like it's not you're not expecting to have decent attacks with it right so you're just getting a 1-1 flyer which can certainly help but isn't transformative given that your deck has like a bunch of other flyers basically i think it's fine but worse than the like 
disguise creatures in your colors. And given that the disguise creatures in general aren't taken that early, I feel like you, you know, you don't really want more than like six disguise creatures. And it's not that hard to have six total Sanguine Savior, Granite Gargoyle, Fairy Snoops. And so, like, the red-blue one would be about on par with, like, a Basilica Stalker, the six-mana 3-4 flyer uh, that gains life and surveils when it hits your opponent and um, flips over for five. I think that both of these are, like, acceptable second-rate disguised creatures that you can play but hope to do better than. And, of course, if you're going to play the blue-red disguise creature, you need to make sure that your deck has, you know, probably like eight blue sources or something so that you can get blue-blue to flip it over. Or that you're splashing red anyway. I suppose it and Dogwalker are both a bit better if you have Wisp Drinker vampires and stuff because uh, they can give you extra triggers. Also, you know, the more on the jobs you have, the more that kind of thing you're looking for. All right. It looks like that covers it. I think this like... A pretty interesting archetype. I think that the ideas here in terms of like uh, validating combat tricks in controlling decks by establishing uh, board stalls um, is kind of like a pretty interesting tool to have in your repertoire of strategies that can exist. Something to like keep in mind and look forward or uh, consider in other formats. Uh, so... I've found this to be a pretty interesting space to explore and consider, and that's going to cover it for this week. So have a good week, and I will be back uh, next week with another archetype. Bye for now, everyone. Prepare for light speed.